0: Hello and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger and my guest today is Dr. Shelby Harris, a psychologist and sleep specialist in private practice in New York City. She is here to share the essentials of good sleep hygiene to help us sleep better and feel better. Dr. Shelby Harris, thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited for this conversation because sleep is a very important part of my life personally. I value it so
1: highly. I really do. Good. I mean, I wish more of us did. And a lot of the people I work with value it highly, but just can't get it. So it's a big problem for a lot of our society. Yeah, I wanted to, well,
0: I want to ask you so many things, but I want to start off with what drew you, so as a psychologist, Mm -hmm. what drew you to the specialty to to really sink in,
1: essentially, to sleep medicine? I know, because it's a little unusual to be like a sleep psychologist, especially. So I was a terrible sleepwalker as a child. So to the point where when I was eight or nine, I would try to walk out of my parents' house, set the alarm off up in Rhode Island. My dad thought there was a burglar. Yeah, a lot of that. And um it just made me very. I mean, I grew out of it, but it made me think like, why do I do these things when I'm asleep? And then it just kind of fell in place as I got older. So I went to graduate, or I went to undergrad at Brown University, and I majored in both the upright bass, a classical bass performance, as well as psychology. And I decided to take a year off because I didn't know whether I wanted to become a professional bassist or a psychologist. And the year I took off, I worked at the med school there, and they just they put me on a research study. And the study was where we were going into people who were in a rehab center for early alcohol addiction issues, we're talking first few weeks to a month. And the study was looking at if you treated insomnia, this time it was using medication 20 plus years ago. Uh, If you treated their insomnia, that actually helped to reduce the risk of relapse because a lot of people go back to alcohol because they're not sleeping. And it just made me start to think like, why aren't we talking about the importance of sleep? I mean, this was 25 years ago. Why aren't we talking about the importance of sleep for other populations and in just in general health and mental wellness? And so that's where I started to go to graduate schools to find people. There aren't many who especially at that time, who were real specialists in sleep disorders, insomnia. And then I've just kind of fallen into place and worked in sleep labs and trained a lot since then.
0: It's just, it is really just amazing because I don't think people make the connection really as much as they should in terms of how much sleep can influence your well-being, mm-hmm. can really influence your health. I yeah. mean, so what is what's happening when we're sleeping? It's this repair cycle. Is that what's going on?
1: I mean everything is going on. I think a lot of people think for a long time, they thought that sleep was this time of just your brain is just in down mode, like it's not doing anything. And there are different stages of sleep throughout the night. We have light sleep, we have the stage two sleep, we have um, deep sleep, and then we have REM sleep. And a lot of times during certain stages of sleep, especially like deep sleep, that's when your brain is offline, but your body is repairing itself. So all, let's say you're someone who exercises, all the repair from exercise, the muscle growth, that is actually happening while you're sleeping. Your blood vessels are actually strengthening yourself. You're having neurons that are formed in your brain. It's very important. That's when kids, especially, that's when they grow. That's when human growth hormone comes out during that deep sleep. And then REM sleep is the exact opposite. A lot of people will say, I need that deep REM sleep. REM sleep couldn't be further from deep sleep, than most people think. REM sleep is super active. You can dream in any stage of sleep, but we dream the most in REM sleep. And in REM sleep, I think of that as the brain's filing cabinet. So that's when we're doing a lot of emotion processing. That's really the stuff that helps with the brain health and the emotion health and the mood. So it's we cycle throughout the night, but it does, for everything in our body, sleep is something that actually really does help to impact the, those systems
0: that is just amazing. That is so enlightening. Um, How big of an issue is sleep in our society? Like, is this a, how, oh, she, and if all of you <laughs> listeners could just see the eyes
1: popping, Shelby's eyes just pop like uh, a lot Huge. is the answer. <laughs> you know, I think because my area of specialty and what I deal with mostly in my book and stuff, it's on insomnia. So even before the pandemic happened, insomnia rates were about, I mean, I would say not even insomnia. People who just had an occasional bad night of sleep here and there was about fifty-five zero percent of the population. I mean, I've had, I have bad nights here and there. It's normal. Chronic insomnia where it's happening multiple nights, at least three or more nights a week for months on end, that's between 15 to 30% of the population. That's huge huge so we see a lot of insomnia and it's only gotten worse since the pandemic and then there's other issues right there's sleep disorders such as sleep apnea which is super common and underrecognized there's teeth grinding there's sleepwalking so there's uh, there's so many issues out there restless legs another really big one and then that's one issue so we talk about the sleep disorders and then there's just the people who are burning the candle at both ends who are just sleep deprived because they're not making the time for sleep, or they're getting poor sleep quality because of, I don't know, diet, or they're just inconsistent in their sleep wake schedule, they're drinking a lot of alcohol at night. That's a huge percentage of our population as well. So people are either sleep depriving themselves on purpose, or they have a sleep disorder that's just going unrecognized or untreated.
0: Yeah. Um, So it's I have so many things to (laughs) ask you, gosh. Um, What are we doing wrong? What's happening? Why is this expand?
1: Why are we having so much trouble in this arena? Well, I think it's changing. So when I started out in the field, it was very focused on sleep disorders. So sleep medicine was like, what's wrong? We need to treat it. But I think the flip side of sleep deprivation wasn't really being focused on so much, because there was this idea of you'll sleep when you're dead, we need to especially in the American culture it's work, 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 work. And then there's no time for anything else. And then you kind of crash when you when you get a few hours, and that's slowly changing in our society, I think, especially with younger populations, it's starting to change. But I've worked in hospitals for many years where I've had surgeons, old school surgeons get up and say, how can you trick your body to need less sleep? Like that doesn't work that way. So I think that's a big problem. But then the flip side of what I'm seeing happen is we're so into tracking everything and perfecting and optimizing, which people love to use that term nowadays, I think it's almost going too overboard that there's this idea of if you're not doing it perfect, then you're not doing it right. And I think to track everything all the time for everyone is not going to be useful either. So I think we need to, we're not having a healthy relationship of what's considered sleep disorder, but what's also considered normal sleep either. So we're kind of swung from one direction to the other, which is not helpful either. It's so interesting that you say all this, because I do think there
0: is this sort of like being preoccupied with something. It's the same as with food. Being yep. preoccupied with it and overly concerned about being perfect yep. always backfires. Yep. So I guess you can say this about sleeping too. And one of the things I notice is that sometimes I'll wake up, I'll sleep for four hours, I'll wake up, and yep. then I'll be up for like an hour, and then I'll go back to sleep. Yeah and i find that it really doesn't bother me what bothers me is if i get anxious about that i'm doing that that exactly. if that just happens to me sometimes then i just sort of move on and it and i get enough sleep in the end yeah but i think the anxiety around it is what is almost worse than the thing itself that oh my gosh i'm not asleep and i need to fall asleep and and i'm up for an hour and oh my gosh do you think yeah. do you see that as a common thing
1: oh for sure i think the The idea of like I was saying earlier, of what is normal sleep is got has gotten lost a lot of the time. So, like when I was talking earlier about just the definition of insomnia being three or more nights a week where you have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or awakening earlier than you want, it also has to create a problem for you in your life. So if it's not creating a problem, you don't feel tired. you're not annoyed by it. you're not super anxious, then it's actually not insomnia believe it or not. So if you start to get anxious by it, that's actually for some people, that's actually what keeps it going. Because then you try to force sleep more, and that can become more of a problem. And the anxiety around it can become more of a chronic insomnia. But to also normalize that to wake up once in a while, Is normal. We all wake up throughout the night, we just don't remember it. And the more that you make it into a problem, the more it does become a problem.
0: So interesting. So as you're saying this, what is normal sleep? Tell us what is normal? (laughs) (laughs) Like I don't really even know. I don't think anyone really, I mean, obviously, some people you know, but I think most of us don't really have a grasp of what is
1: normal sleep. Yeah. So what happens throughout the night for someone who let's just say, I mean, we can talk about the number of hours and all that stuff. But for someone who gets an appropriate amount of sleep throughout the night and is a healthy sleeper, when you go to sleep at night, you cycle through different stages of sleep throughout the night. So when you first fall asleep, you have this stage one, which is kind of that twilight sleep, where you're not sure if you're awake or you're asleep, you're kind of just in and out. And that's very quick. And then you're in the stage two, which is this middle level sleep where you spend about 65% of the night. And then stage three, which is deep sleep. So you go asleep, that stage one, two, three, and those are pretty quick at the beginning of the night, and you're in deep sleep for a good amount of time. And then when you're out of deep sleep, you go into REM sleep, that filing cabin I was talking about, and then you awaken most people don't know that they awaken. And those sleep cycles are about an hour and a half long, believe it or not. So some people say, I always wake up an hour and a half, two hours after I fall asleep. It's because they're actually finishing a sleep cycle in most cases. Then they look at the clock, and then they reinforce that it's a problem when it's actually not a problem. If they didn't obsess about it, they probably would go back to sleep. Then throughout the night, you do that same cycle, about four to seven, depending upon the person, four to seven times a night you cycle through those stages Quick awakening, go back to sleep. And as the night goes on, we spend more time in REM sleep throughout those stages and less time in the deep sleep, which is why you can dream in any stage, but that's why you tend to remember your dreams closer to the early morning hours because you spend more time in REM sleep.
0: It's so fascinating. So it's absolutely normal. We have the okay that is absolutely normal to sort of awaken. Maybe several times in the night. And then just don't take that as something to panic about, but take it to just like, okay, relax into it and let the cycle start again.
1: Exactly. If you feel like you have trouble going back to sleep routinely after an awakening, and that happens multiple times a week, that's problematic. If you notice that you're having a lot of awakenings and you don't feel like your sleep is restorative, that's a big problem. So, And the other thing that I think is normal that people don't often appreciate is that when you wake up in the morning, you have all these neurochemicals that are washing themselves out. It's not like sleeps an on off, like I go to bed and my brain goes off and then I wake up in the morning and it wakes up. There are chemicals, neurochemicals in your brain that are slowly washing away. So to give yourself about a half hour to even judge how you feel is really important. So if a half hour after waking up you're feeling good and you're feeling all right to go about your day, then you're probably fine.
0: I love that. That's such a relief to me because sometimes yeah. I get up and I'm like, I'm not refreshed right. immediately. Well, right. you're it's sort of giving me permission. Like you you're not going to be immediately refreshed. It's gonna take a little bit.
1: I mean, it really is hard. Not everyone is that jump out of bed feeling like perfect in the morning. And that's where the trackers I I'm not to bash trackers. I think they have a place for some people. But a lot of people wake up and they look at what their watch told them, and then they let that judge their day. I'm like, if you just give yourself a half hour, maybe you would actually feel better.
0: Yeah. And this actually taps into, I've written about these trackers, actually, pluses and minuses about them. And when it comes to food and Mm -hmm. fitness, I feel like for fitness, for me, it takes the joy out of it in some ways. Like I'm on this thing, on this um in this class or whatever, and my heart rate is not exactly. I'm enjoying myself. I'm listening to the music. I'm sweating, but because my heart rate is not where it's supposed to be, oh, yeah. I'm getting all down on myself. So I just kind of like tossed it out, or I cover the thing in my spin class, yeah. because I find it to be to take the joy out of it. Yeah. So and and to take me away from how I feel inside. So I think a lot of what you're saying here. Connects with this for me for fitness and also with food. About seeing, tapping in. How do I feel after yep. a half hour? How do I feel inside after my night sleep? That's yep. what really matters.
1: I'm I'm a marathon runner, and I started running about twenty five no not that long fifteen years ago. I can't remember anymore. Fifteen years ago. And when I started running, when I'm training for a marathon and I have a goal, then I'll use my my watch to help me do that. But when I'm not actually in the midst of training and I don't have a plan, I've learned over the past few years to get rid of the watch because I want to connect with the joy of running and not be so fixated on the metric. And I think that's a great point to bring out that it does kind of go into other areas of your life that overtracking just takes you out of being in the moment sometimes.
0: Right. And being and, and tapping into your internal regulation mechanisms yes, that we have. Exactly. Um, Yeah, very cool. So when you talk about the numbers of hours that we need, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's very individual. I personally really feel best on nine hours of sleep a night. Yeah, I mean, I know this about myself, and I just allow it. And I'm happy about that. So I I hope that's normal. I think I guess there's a range, an interpersonal range of what's a healthy amount of sleep.
1: There's a colleague of mine who always says that uh, sleep duration amounts is uh, for varies like shoe size, is that there's always various shoe size, but we all tend to like kind of congregate around similar numbers. And that's the thing with sleep. So for the vast majority of adults, it's between seven to nine hours. And honestly, that's just where they get the eight from. It's right in the middle (laughs) and it's easier to report it. That's it. So anyone, if you ever go to someone who says to you, you have to get eight hours of sleep at night and you feel fine on six and a half, go find someone else. Like if you're okay, it's not causing any problems. That's fine. So seven to nine for the vast majority, but there are some people who are fine with six and they don't have any issues, and they don't fall asleep. Like The other thing to think about is if you fall asleep within five minutes every single night, you probably need more sleep. If you're sleeping in a lot on the weekends, you probably need a lot more sleep. But if you routinely sleep less than seven, like six hours, you might just be that. And then there's the outliers of people who need more like 10, 11. And if that's really a problem that's getting in the way of you living your life, that's when I would say see, see a sleep doctor for sure.
0: Right, when you're getting into those extremes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may be just what you need, and it might be an issue. So
1: yeah. And the other thing too, is that as you get older, the misnomer is that you need a lot less sleep as you get older. And that's actually not true. It's maybe a half hour ish less. But what the difference is, is that older adults, they nap more during the day. So we see on a 24 hour period, they're getting the same amount of sleep. So that's the other thing we always keep in mind is the, the amount for older adults as we age. Oh, very interesting. So
0: let's talk about sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of a preventative thing. I mean, this is these are habits to get into yes. that can help ensure better sleep, right? So yeah. how do you define that? And what what are the steps? What are the essentials of
1: sleep hygiene? Yeah. So my colleague Rachel Mamber is has the best analogy for this. So she always says sleep hygiene is like dental hygiene. So you, you want to brush and floss every day to help prevent any sort of issue that's going to happen with a cavity. So sleep hygiene is very similar. These are good behaviors to do routinely to help pre- prevent, say, insomnia from happening. Now, that doesn't mean you can still be someone who brushes and flosses every single day and still get a cavity. So it doesn't mean that's a guarantee But it's good. They're just good practices. Now, the thing is, when it comes to sleep hygiene, sometimes people get a little too rigid with it. And that can backfire too. But the general rules that I like people to follow as often as they can would be to limit alcohol. Alcohol, in my opinion, is one of the biggest problems. So to limit alcohol within three hours of bed, because okay. alcohol, a lot of people use it to fall asleep, but the quality of sleep you get is actually really crummy. And it can make people snore more and have sleep apnea.
0: Yeah. And I don't think people realize this at all. They like, oh, I'll have a couple drinks to help me fall asleep, like mm-hmm. even on a flight or something like that. Yeah. But it actually, and, I know that it disturbs your sleep cycle. So what happens with alcohol? What does it do?
1: So what it does is it impacts your REM sleep that you're having. So it negatively impacts that and it causes much lighter sleep. So you don't feel like it's as restorative and it can cause more awakenings for someone simply because your body is now craving more alcohol to go back to sleep. And the other big problem with it is, I mean, I've seen countless patients over the years who say, I have to have a shot of whiskey or whatever before I go to bed. And then over time, it becomes a shot and a half, then two shots, because you become dependent on it. So it's really not a good strategy to be using. Now, that being said, I'm also a realist. And if someone wants to go out once a week and have that glass of wine at dinner that's a little closer to bedtime, fine. Just know it might impact your sleep. Just don't make a habit out of doing it within those three hours. The other big thing is is caffeine. And the problem is there's these hard and fast rules that we'll often say, like limit caffeine within eight hours of bed. But the issue for that is that some people actually do metabolize caffeine a little bit faster or slower, and we don't really have good blood tests to be like, you're someone who's this. So, And there are other things like medications that can impact how fast you metabolize caffeine. So we always just say eight hours, and then as you get older, older adults, sometimes I'll say 12 hours. Caffeine, also the misnomer with it is it doesn't just keep you awake. You might still be able to fall asleep with it. It causes lighter sleep throughout the night. So caffeine's a big one.
0: So people think, oh, it's no big deal. I fell asleep just fine.
1: Mm -hmm. But
0: it's disturbing the quality of the sleep. And I think people just judge the way something affects their sleep by if they can fall asleep or not. So that's clearly not the the ruler we need to be using here. It's not
1: the benchmark. And if you need to get through your afternoon with multiple cups of caffeine, then we need to have a talk about you maybe seeing a sleep doctor because there might be something like sleep apnea going on. And then the other, there's a number of sleep hygiene rules, but the other really big one, in my opinion, is consistency of sleep-wake timing. There was a um, consensus report by a number of very big name sleep medicine professionals that came out a few months ago. And in that report, they said essentially that sleep-wake timing, consistency of your timing is more important Than many other of the things that we follow. And sometimes we argue that consistency is even more important for some people than the amount at first. So we want to work on getting you consistent because that will help consolidate your sleep, get you falling asleep faster, staying asleep more. And then you work on getting more sleep over time if you need to. But it's when you sleep a lot later on the weekends, or you're going to bed earlier, that actually can really impact how the quality of the sleep that you're getting. It's so
0: interesting the way our bodies work and how this all really works together because from a nutritional point mm-hmm. of view, the consistency with meal timing, our body just really loves this like consistent beat and, yep. and what knowing what to expect. With meal timing, just having a consistent eating timing yeah. re- um, helps your metabolism, helps your, your LDL cholesterol, helps all of these um these markers for health. yeah, And it's just remarkable. It's that simple thing of just being consistent. And again, not being rigid. I think none of, none of us are saying be rigid about this and make yourself crazy if you're not eating exactly at noon or you're not falling asleep exactly at 10 or whatever it may be. But it's this notion of t- trying to get into a rhythm with your day, mm-hmm. with sleep, and I'll bring in
1: with eating as well. Yeah, I think these things are what sets our body's circadian rhythms that body clock, circa meaning about DN a day. So it's a clock that's set into us. And it's not like we have a switch that says today is a daytime or a weekday schedule that we're gonna follow and this is a weekend. Our bodies haven't adjusted and evolved to that. We're really built the same as we were. 1000 plus years ago before there was electricity in modern times. So we really need to try and follow that clock because that's really the stuff that helps to even with eating. That's the stuff that really helps keep our sleep-wake schedule much more intact.
0: So in terms of good sleep hygiene, we have already um, avoiding alcohol three hours Mm -hmm. before bed, not having caffeine in the afternoon, um, consistency of sleep-wake cycle. What about I hear so much about, you know, looking at your phone and the blue light and all that. Does that really
1: matter? So, yeah, it does and it doesn't. So the screens are not ideal, but believe it or not, the research behind it, I think people villainize it to the point where it's like, I mean, I have patients that will get up at night and like cover their eyes to walk to the, because they're afraid of any light exposure. Like it's okay. Um, But (laughs) blue light, it does have some effect, but it's not like it's going to keep you up all night long. Uh, Some of the research actually shows it really just delays sleep by about 10 to 20 minutes max, believe it or not. So I I try to get people to try and stay off of screens for about a half hour to an hour before bed. But that's not always possible for a lot of people. And I don't want people to think that it's going to ruin their night if they had to look at their phone. What I would argue that's a bigger issue for some people is not just the blue light. It's really what are you looking at on your phone? So a lot of people are binge watching shows and then they they let it autoplay into the next show and they're not turning it off because they got sucked into it. They're looking at social media, they're checking their texts, their emails. That's all the stuff that's even, in my opinion, can be more alerting than just the blue light itself. So you want to watch the blue light, but I like to stay off the screens just because of the emotional and mental stimulation that it creates.
0: Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about that because I personally, when I'm about to fall asleep is when all of my anxieties... I mean, I'm doing fine all day long. I'm having a good day. And then I wind down and something happens to my brain and all the things that I worry about and all the things I'm anxious about suddenly come to the top of my mind. It's the weirdest
1: thing. Well, because there's no more quiet. I mean, now it's quiet. There's no more distraction.
0: Yeah, maybe that's it. I I just read something funny on social media that said, don't trust anything your brain tells you after 9 p.m <laughs> and I just I True. I've been saying that to myself like I'll mm-hmm. have all these all my insecurities all my anxieties will come out after 9 p.m and that now I just say like up oh don't trust you. (laughs) Talk to me in the morning.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And there's actually some science behind that 9pm could be it depends on what your sleep wake schedule naturally is. But in the middle of the night, what happens is your brain's prefrontal cortex is actually offline. And that part of your brain is what is the judgment and reasoning part of your brain. So it's really that's why some people will go and just eat lots of food in the middle of the night, or they'll, You know, there are people who buy things online that they would never buy during the day because that judgment and reasoning part of their brain isn't there. They don't have the filter anymore.
0: So if that wakes you up, what do you do?
1: Yeah. So before bed, so if you're, you're kind of hinting at sometimes it can be worry or anxiety or just like a busy brain, there's a few things that I love to recommend first and foremost. So the first thing doesn't work immediately, but it's meditation but it's not meditating at night. So a lot of people will use the apps to kind of fall asleep too. I recommend, and I'm talking five minutes, like quick meditations. It doesn't have to be with an app, but you can use the app to give you something to focus on five minutes of mindfulness meditation where you're just noticing your brain wandering and then getting back onto whatever it is that you're doing in that moment for the meditation. So it could be tasting your food. It could be looking outside, listening to music. It could be walking and noticing your footsteps or using an app that's guiding you. But the point of a mindfulness meditation is not to focus the whole time. That There's no way to do it right. It's the recognizing when your brain goes off and say nope, not now. Back on the exercise I'm doing. Nope, not now. Back on the exercise. That's strengthening you to be able to focus in the moment and recognize when your brain kind of starts to get busy. So if you start doing that more during the day, guess what? When you get in bed at night, you're going to recognize when your brain is so active that you can say no, nope, Let me just focus on my breathing, and you can let. It's like it lets you soften that busy brain a bit more problem is it doesn't work immediately. So people will try it for two, three days and say, I can't do it. I didn't do it right. It doesn't work. It can take a month, two months to really work. And if you can't find five minutes in your day, that's a bigger issue, right, where you can't just sit and just focus for a moment. So mindfulness is one of those things that actually is really effective for busy brains. The other thing I recommend all the time is if you're someone who tends to have more worries or concerns to do a worry time so what it is is setting 20 minutes aside the name is so silly to me but you set aside 20 minutes about an hour before bed and you just worry the heck out of everything you can write it down as a list and what the next step might be but you worry about anything and everything so you're allowing your brain to get it out and then when 20 minutes are done anytime that night or during the next day you say to yourself not now during worry time and you allow yourself to worry, but only for 20 minutes a day. And you're they're going to pop up, but it's letting yourself do it only during that time. And those are two of the biggest strategies that actually can really help to curb worry a good amount. And then just doing to-do lists or journaling. Those are all really good things too.
0: Right, like getting it out. But I love the idea of that meditation because mm-hmm. what it does is it helps you practice accepting these thoughts as existing and kind of letting them move on. Yes, And it's this practice in general that, um, I mean, I do yoga all the time and yoga also helps you get there yep. you, depending on the cl- kind of class you're taking. But the one I take is very much about that, like let the thought come and then let it go. It's like yep. a cloud passing. Yep. and And that can really help reduce anxiety around the thought. Because sometimes yep. if you can just let the thought move on and recognize that this happens and this is okay... And then it does, it, it actually moves on. And the notion of leaving, you know, making a sort of a worry appointment is terrific. Yeah. A lot of times I'm like, yeah, I, I'll worry about that in three months. <laughs> right. Like you realize you don't have to, there's nothing I could do right now. It might not even happen. So in three months, I'll recheck in with this issue and worry about it then.
1: Right. And then one of my other strategies that I like to use is sarcasm a bit. So I have patients, I'll do it myself sometimes, they'll just like, thanks brain. Thanks for reminding me of that. Thanks, you're real helpful. And if you could be sarcastic to yourself, it gives you a little bit of distance from your thoughts, that it can help to let them go a little bit easier. Oh, that's amazing. That's terrific.
0: So are there any other sleep hygiene tips we should know about? Again, I'm um, going to repeat it again, just for folks. Uh-oh. I mean, there's some,
1: so nicotine's another one. So if you're someone who does use nicotine, we try to avoid that within three hours. Oh, and then also, um, big ones like liquids. Within three hours, you want to limit, you want to limit heavy meals within three hours. And I'd love to get your take about that because I'm a fan of, you know, no heavy meals within three hours of bed because that can also lead to heartburn or like all these things. But I actually am someone who likes a little light snack within an hour of bed. And some people have like vilified me online for saying that, because I'm like, you know what, it helps me to sleep better. And then I don't wake up hungry in the middle of the night. So a little bit of a carb and a little bit of protein can be useful.
0: Yeah, I mean, whoever's vilifying you about that is wrong. (laughs) I mean, essentially, I think a lot of people, it's helpful for them to pick a cutoff time for eating at night simply because they tend to eat very mindlessly mm-hmm. at in front of the television and just sort of eating. They're not really hungry. It just becomes this bad yeah. habit rather than understanding what their body is needing. So I say, absolutely, if you are hung genuinely, physically hungry, yeah. have a little snack. I mean, I have a snack almost every evening and it's planned. So I to eat dinner kind of on the earlier side if i eat a later dinner i don't need a snack but i tend to eat dinner on the earlier side and i'm not eating a big heavy meal so i'll have a yogurt i'll have a yogurt with some apple or uh, apple and peanut butter or a little popcorn or whatever and i find that that's all i need but i really try not to do it in front of the tv i feel like that's really important and i always portion it out into onto a plate or into a little bowl I think a big problem is people with a bag of chips in front of the TV. and, And so picking a cutoff time is a strategy that could work for a lot of people, but is definitely no magic number and no, and it is not essential.
1: So. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of the the Greek yogurt, I'll have like unsweetened Greek yogurt, and then I might add some raspberries to it, or like a little bit of peanut butter, just that little portion for me. And sometimes I'll have like a little bit of oatmeal, because that actually has been found for some people to help with inducing a little bit of sleepiness, but the apple and peanut butter, really small portion, but it really does just help to settle me so I don't wake up hungry or ravenous in the morning. I, it's great. So there's Yeah, so limiting heavy meals within three hours of bed limiting liquids if you have to take um liquids to you have pills or something you have to take try to limit it to about eight ounces max of liquids and those are yeah, and then the worry stuff like we were talking about i'm winding down trying to stay away from screens but you know, like at least a half hour to ideally an hour, but don't go crazy over it. Oh, and then also exercise. So exercise is one of the other big ones. So some people will try to exercise so much before bed that they're trying to almost tire themselves out. And that actually does the exact opposite. So it might make you tired, but your body is now warmed up. So it makes it harder for you to actually fall asleep or stay asleep. So exercise, vigorous exercise, more than, you don't want to have it within three hours of bedtime. Restorative yoga, gentle yoga, that's all fine. Going for a walk, but within three hours, you really want to limit that hardcore exercise. Right. Great advice. I love all of this.
0: And I love how it also all really jibes with health recommendations in general. So I love when it all works together like this because it just feels like, well, yeah, I could do that. And Mm -hmm. it's not conflicting with all the other advice, you know? So- so I think sleep hygiene and and good sleep habits are good health habits in general. Yeah.
1: And then the one last tip that I always add into the sleep hygiene rules is if those things are not working and you've been doing them for a few weeks and you still are having trouble with sleep or you're feeling like your sleep is not restorative, go see a sleep specialist.
0: Great advice. Excellent advice. And tell us a little bit about your book. I want to hear more
1: about your oh. book. So my book's The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia: Get a Good Night's Sleep Without Relying on Medication. So I wrote it a few years ago. I signed the book contract when I was nine months pregnant with my second child because I thought I'd have lots of time to write it when I was on maternity leave. That was so <laughs> um, but I but it was it was one of those things where I was really trying to think. I was talking to the publisher and my editor, and I was trying to think of like what would be a population to really focus on. And this was back in 2015 at the time. And there were some studies coming out about women and insomnia but really not much. It was not like now there's much more talk about perimenopause and menopause and pregnancy issues Back then, there really wasn't that much about it, and it wasn't that long ago. But I started thinking about, okay, what's the population that I see the most in my practice? And it was women. And so the book is about the type of treatment that I do, cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, which sleep hygiene is a tiny piece of it, but there's so much more. We challenge thoughts. We challenge the time that you're going to bed and waking up. But it's a very short-term therapy, generally between two to 10 sessions for most people, Um, And it's a workbook that goes through all the different steps. So if you're not able to find a specialist in your area, or you want just I use it with patients that I'm seeing that it helps reinforce the things that we've been doing. It's a great resource for that. And it does not use medication. And it is the gold standard treatment for insomnia, believe it or not, ahead of medication. It's just most people don't know about it or do it. That's amazing. And
0: what a fantastic resource. And people can find that on your website, which is
1: Oh, can drshelbyharris.com, drshelbyharris.com. And you can find the book anywhere. It's like Amazon all over the place. Yeah, Wherever excellent books are sold. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, Shelby, thank you so much for being here. I am inspired. I'm going to really make more of an effort to practice some of these sleep hygiene ideas because I think I'm doing most of them, but I think I could do yeah. better. But I'm going to do it and I'm not going to stress about it. And that's the important thing. That's <laughs> the key. But
1: thank you so much for having me. I've, I've I'm really excited to have been speaking with you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you're inspired
1: to practice better
0: sleep hygiene to get the restorative sleep you need. Join me next time for another one real good thing.